In celebration of the launch of this podcast, all of Andrea Pearson's book marketing courses are available at 50% off. Enter podcast launch, one word, at checkout. This deal expires March 24th, 2018 at midnight. Go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com for information on currently available courses. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan, and uh, glad to be here today. All right, we're going to get right into things today with our quote. You want to go ahead and read that? Don't wait for every door to open for you. Get ready to kick a few down by Bob Joff. Or Goff. I don't know. (laughs) G-O-F-F. All right, so I really like that quote because, and I'm visual, I have to actually read it, so I'm taking it from him. Okay, so... The best thing about being a self-published author is the ability to take things into our own hands and to put things into action. When you're with a traditional publisher, you can promote and promote and promote, but you won't know based on sales if your book is actually doing well or if your promotions are actually doing anything. So as an indie author, we don't need to wait around for things to happen. We can actually go out and get things done. So that's the first, our quote for today. And my tip for today is... Again, it's, this is actually could be to seasoned authors as well, because we all go through phases where we're not getting as much attention as we'd like. And when, when people don't know who we are, that's a really, really good time for us to, to make mistakes and to basically learn from our failures. And the whole point is for us to enjoy our anonymity. Uh, One of the hardest things about publishing is watching books that we've put all of our heart and soul into flop or not move as fast as we hoped they would. Uh, and when we first started out with this, this whole, this whole publishing, publishing thing, I was very impatient. I couldn't handle the thought that people weren't finding me right now and reading me right now. And I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and like a lot of new writers, I was willing, to, I was willing to take risks. Uh, sorry, I was willing to take risks without without anything to back up those risks. And we suffered a lot financially and emotionally because of it. I mean, we spent how much money on good, I mean, AdWords and AdSense and all that. I have no idea. He doesn't know. It was probably, I don't know, 500 to $750 while we were trying to figure out how things worked. And I honestly never cracked it because I had zero experience. And anyway, so, but that, that's the whole, the good thing about it is, is you can, you can do things when nobody sees you that you can't do when you've got a lot of readers watching you. So before you go big, get those mistakes out of your system. You know, it's okay to actually make them because Failure leads to success, and it's better to fail now than later while there's thousands of eyes on you. Anyway, so that's the tip for today, and we're going to get right into finishing up Jurassic Park. And as we said, we were about 52 minutes into the movie last, and I'm going to let Nolan take over, go from where we left off. Okay, right around this time is when the park starts shutting down. Right, And yeah. um, we haven't talked about uh, Dennis Nedry at all. Oh, but uh, they're not subtle with uh, with him. Who's not subtle? The uh, him being uh, Michael Crichton or whoever. The screen, the screenwriters, screen. and all that. Michael Crichton, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first time you see him in the movie, he's um, he's a large man and he's stuffing himself silly at a restaurant. Yeah. And then um, when he starts the uh, park shutting down, his excuse to leave is. He wants to go get something from the vending machines. Yes. So, um, so that's his character. Uh, 
really. I mean, not his whole character, but, you know. And you see his desk, he's a complete slob. So they, complete slob. It's weird because in the movie, they did, they turned him more into a villain than he was in the book. I mean, in the book, he was like that pretty much, if I remember right. But um, but he becomes a villain, the slob, the heart, the careless person, while in the book, it was actually Hammond who was careless and thoughtless about how things were going and who was hiding up things and covering. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons it takes so long for everyone else to realize that the park is shutting down is because he said, before he left Nedry, that um, parts would shut down and it would be normal. Yeah, like a few systems would go offline and right while he was rebooting and, and updating things. Mm -hmm. So they so when that starts happening, they think it's fine until everything like really critical systems start to go down. Yeah, the whole park starts to fail exactly and so that ups the ante they see a problem but they ignore it and then it just keeps escalating until um he's too far away for them to find him and do anything about it yeah and i did want to make a quick point about the character names that i meant to say yesterday but forgot uh if you if you think about them just here i'll just read off the main names we've got lex tim grant ellie hammond malcolm Nedry, Gen Gennaro, I always stutter on his name, Gennaro, 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 Muldoon, Wu, and Arnold. And one of the one of the traits of a good author, and I'm not good at this yet, I still pick names that are way too... Anyway, okay, so one of the traits of a good author is they're able to pick names that are unique, that start with different letters and end with different sounds. And they vary in length. I mean, you got Lex and Tim, but you've also got Gennaro, you know? And so... He, he varies the sounds of the names, the starts of the, the, the letters they start with and the letters or the, yeah, the letters that they end with, the sounds that they end with. And that's, I mean, that, I, I say that, I think that takes a lot of creativity because there's not a whole lot of variance in how names go. A lot of them end with like, you know, uh, for girls, Jessica and Sarah and all of that. Uh, and one thing that I've been told before is that authors tend to name characters names that start with the same letter of them, of their name or whatever. And that's definitely true with me. I've really tried to move away from that, but I mean, I've got Abel in the series I'm working on right now. I've got Azariah, Austin, Akano. Uh, let's see, I've got, there's tons. I don't need to go through all of them, but I've tried to move away from that. But my first, my conscious thought is always to names that start with A and it feels slightly narcissistic. <laughs> Am I narcissistic? A bit. <laughs> um, Anyway, so just pay attention to the names that you're using in your books and vary them. Readers are more likely to remember the characters if you give them names that don't sound exactly like all the other characters. Anyway. Anyway, this is when the creatures start to escape. Yeah. Most notably the, most notably the T-Rex. And there's two... Two ways they show that he's coming. Oh yes. Um, before he's coming. What is number one? The sound. The goat leg. The goat leg. Well, he get they get the thump the yes. thump sound before and that. That's oh is that what happens? Okay, so they get the thump right, and they yeah. know something's up, and you see the what glass of water was it? Or... Yeah, the glass of water, and you know how they did the special effect to do that. They had a, a guitar string strung underneath the dashboard, and they and apparently the the artist. Why do they have a artist, cup of water in a truck or a jeep anyway? Because uh, they're thirsty. Anyway, the folly artist. Explain what a folly artist is. Foley artist is the guy that makes the sound effects in a movie. Yeah, so the foley artist, folly. I always said folly artist, but 
Um, they, the guy who's in charge of all of that, he spent several weeks trying to figure out how to make that sound because, uh, Spielberg said, I want it to do this. And they, and they said, oh yeah, we can make it do that. And then they were like, oh crap, we don't know how to make it do that. And he said that it took him until the night before they filmed that scene to figure out that a guitar string, he had a cup of water on a guitar and when he plucked the, the guitar, the string or the water vibrated. And so they finally, they got that figured out the day, the night before shooting and, I don't know. I like I like movie trivia. <laughs> anyway, so yes, they they the first thing you notice is the sound and then the water. I mean, the water vibrating with each step, and that's just oh, I just love that. It just makes me excited every time I watch the movie. Is it my turn? Okay, so one of the things uh, that I absolutely love about Jurassic Park is they use animatronics instead of relying on, on CGI, and the CGI was really, really good, especially, you know, even compared to today's Sanders. I mean, some CGI is still pretty bad compared to that one was, and I know they had a huge budget for it, but they used animatronics instead, and something that, just a little bit of fun trivia, they, uh, while, okay, so they had problems with the T-Rex animatronic, and they said that it would randomly malfunction at very, very odd times, and and they're saying that they'd be sitting down eating lunch, and all of a sudden the T-Rex would come to life, and people would start screaming and freaking out and running, and they'd be like, oh wait, oh wait, it's just malfunctioning again. I mean, I can't imagine something of that size moving while nobody's in control of it. it would have totally freaked me out. Um, but this scene, it's full of humor and terror. We've got Malcolm making these random comments all the way throughout while there's all sorts of freaky things happening. So for example, you know, when Dr. Grant asks him if he's married, he says, occasionally, he's always on the lookout for a future ex Mrs. Malcolm. That's one of the lines he says. And then he does this, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. And then he says, boy, do I hate being right all the time. And there's several times throughout this movie where he's adding in that comedic, you know, <laughs> like later on when the T-Rex is coming and they've got him in the back of the Jeep and there's an impact tremor. He's like, I'm fairly alarmed here. <laughs> Just all sorts of little things to add to, to lighten the mood while still, you know, there's still that terror there. But I mean, that's, that's good storytelling right there. Yes. Your turn. Okay. So when the T-Rex does break out of the pen mm -hmm. and comes for them, he doesn't just attack. He slowly probes the jeep. Oh yeah, that's right. He's takes, exploring. Yes, exactly. And that's I don't want to say maybe more, he, they drag out the terror, right? Because yes. you don't know when he's going to attack. He keeps you don't even closer. know. I mean, he might leave the kids. You know, you've got right. that hopeful. You know. Then they turn the light on, yeah, and then they... he sees the light. You know, so it's not just an attack. I mean, he hasn't even attacked yet. You know. Yeah. He's just doesn't know what a jeep is no. or a flashlight is. He's just trying to figure it out. Something that big, even if it were friendly, could kill you easily. Yes. Let alone something that... I'm looking at you, Clifford the Red do Dog. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, that happens. Um, then, what What exactly happens right after that? I've still got comments on the scene oh, itself. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's the Jeep falls and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm still before that. So, so really fast, um, there's a little bit of actual bad foreshadowing in the story. We've got Dennis Nedry leaving the huge gate open when he drives through. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, crap, he left the gate open. But they never returned to that. I mean, we know that the dinosaurs are romping through the park, but we, I mean, you can assume that they come in through other ways. You know, it's not just through that gate. They never actually returned to that. And so I was a little bit disappointed by that the first time I watched it. But, And then another comment... 
we've got rain in this in this setting, you know, when the T-Rex is about to attack, and the rain is setting the mood, but it's also very plausible for the island. And so it's not like, it's not out of the ordinary, but it still sets the mood. And so it doesn't feel like they're setting the mood, even though they are, you know. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Ouch. Yes, that was my elbow. Um, and I was just going to talk about the water in the cup, and then finally returning to the goat. You know, we see the goat leg, and that's a great way to return. You know, the, the goat one that wasn't eaten earlier. Yeah, the one eaten. Yeah, exactly. And then the strings just dangling. Like, where's the goat? And then the leg lands on the top of the car. Just totally awesome. <laughs> Make, I know that's awful of me, but I love it. Okay, the the jeep falling scene bothers me. Oh gosh, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's always bothered me. Um, this is this is one of my least favorite parts of the movie. Uh, the jeep is in a tree. It falls over the side of the road, right? Yeah, and they don't ever explain why there's this huge goalie right there. Yeah, and then there's it falls into the top of a tree, and they're farther down in the tree, and it starts falling on them. When he climbs up the tree to get Tim out. When he yeah, and that's just. It's just silly that it falls straight down and breaks a branch and then stops just long enough for them to escape. Then falls down to the next branch and it never flips over until it hits the ground when it would have flipped over immediately. Yeah. Um, or they could have just climbed to the other side of the tree that the Jeep isn't on and it would have been like two steps. And yeah, no been kidding. safe at any point. Yes. Um, so, you know, that scene just bothers me. I just... There you go. There's my one biggest criticism so far. Yeah, my Aside biggest from the uh, leaving the gate open. Oh, the lab. The lab pencil scene. Yes. Well, that is a travesty. That is such a horrible thing. That for travesty. Them to. Yes. Um. So when Nedry loses his glasses, this is something that I really like. They they give him. He's the bad guy, but they give him a bit of humanity where you're you're like ah oh, crap he's lost his glasses and you hope that he can find them and that he can actually get out safe but he doesn't of course you know but we still want him to escape even though he's the bad guy i don't know maybe i'm i'm no unique. i don't want him to escape <laughs> nolan's like no i want him to die and i'm like oh, i hope he escapes <laughs> well i actually and then the other part of me was i wanted him to escape i would love that plot that thread line to go on to a different movie of him carrying the you know, you know the little embryos, little frozen things. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a really fun thing for them to carry into future movies. I always assumed they would find the embryos that were in the container, and they never do. They, yeah, that okay. So uh, there we go, because they actually it falls and yeah, and it gets and buried under some mud. I just assumed that um, something would happen from it. Yeah. So that's also a little bit of foreshadowing that maybe they didn't plan on foreshadowing and then never followed up on. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't. I mean, it'd be impossible to find it. You know. So it's. And it's just chemicals that would die, you know, dissolve, so it's not... Yeah. You know, nothing's going to happen. It would just die. The yeah, embryos yeah. or whatever, but... I always thought something was going to happen, and it never did in the second movie. I'm like, did they fi someone find the, the shaving cream can with <laughs> all the dinosaurs in it? No. No, nothing. No, nothing happened. They all they all died. They reached room temperature. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, the, uh, the dinosaur that kills Nedry, the Dilophosaurus is briefly mentioned in uh, the recording during the early tour scene at the beginning of the movie, so they tie that in. Yeah, they they mention, they introduce us to all the bad dinosaurs mm -hmm. throughout the first part of the movie, which is good story writing. Yep. It's not a surprise. We know what's coming, especially when he, the fan opens. Oh, and by the way, that's not the way Dilophosaurus are. Um, still, Spiel, Spiel, Spielberg. Spielberg added the spitting, and Michael Crichton added the flares. So I don't know what the Dilophosaurus really doesn't did in real life, but <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, that's the picture that pops up on Google when you Google one. Maybe that, I mean, maybe he didn't add it, but I mean, you know, maybe they were inaccurate in their trivia. Don't know. So yeah, so um, back to the, the Jeep scene. That Grant has now saved the kids. Yeah. That's he's the, stuck with the kids, the people he the doesn't kids. like. Right. And then that just makes them more attached, of course. Yes. Yep, they like him even more now. Okay, so that's their first T-Rex encounter, mm-hmm. and then the aftermath, and then they have the next one, right? Rippling footprint. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So now they know what that means. Yes, and so, he's like, I'm fairly alarmed here. Yeah, they now know what a ripple in the water means, and it's rippling in a footprint, a big giant footprint. Yeah, which is awesome. Yes. Um, that's that's a trailer shot, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um so that foreshadowing, that that cue, they don't need to show the T Rex. They have they have that experience now. So, um, and one thing, by the way, okay. So I've got a couple comments on that part of the movie, but but um, uh, Michael Crichton was paid two million dollars for the for the rights to this movie, and that's not including what he got paid as a screenwriter. That was the rights of the movie. And they actually approached him before the book was even published because they loved the idea so much. And that's that's very unusual. Just so authors know, you don't get $2 million for the rights of the movie. I mean, average, I've heard, is 50000 to 100000 and not even 100000 I mean, you know, I've heard of authors getting 10000 for the rights to their movie. And anyway, but he was experienced in Hollywood. He'd done screenplays already, several already, um... Westworld was one that came out before this one. The Andromeda Strain came out before this one. And so he had experience. And so they knew, the producers knew him and they knew that he could do this. You know, they knew that he was a good writer and that the movie would do well. Plus, I mean, how many dinosaur movies had actually been done before this one? Um, A couple really bad ones. Yes. (laughs) Stop motion claymation stuff. Yes. Gamera. He's not a dinosaur. I know. (laughs) But he is a bit, he's a kaiju kind of. I mean, you know. He's a kaiju. That is true. (laughs) Anyway, one one thing that I love, and sorry, Nolan, I'm I'm gonna. This is still in the same scene, but the objects and mirror are closer than they appear. Were you yeah. gonna make a comment about that? No. Okay, uh, and they like one a good tell. Sorry, as I stutter my way through this, a good sign of a good writer is somebody who can incorporate clever things like that into their books. You know, so objects may appear lar- or sorry arge- objects and mirror are closer than they appear that's something we all see every time we drive a car but the fact that there's this huge dinosaur head coming at it and and you see that it's like uh, you know clever and terror again all in one they've done they do that very well in this movie okay your turn so um back during the triceratops scene ellie takes a jeep back to get the kids no she goes back to the the main building on her own oh yes yeah um and at this point she's talking to hammond you know about how dangerous everything is and how control is an illusion oh yes 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 right and they're eating ice cream and just chilling <laughs> he's like the ice cream's melted and he tells this cute little circus flea story and yeah that's it's all stuff. lighthearted it's 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 very calm like they're in their safe space Yes. Right. Yep. And you know, everything's fine there. And then, um, 
And then the next time they go there, oh, then you got to make finish your thought there. No, that that's it. it. It just sets that scene. So like, you it makes it feel like that place is 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 safe. a safe safe location. So that means we have to wreck it. But for now, it feels safe. So yes. uh, then after that, we have a scene with Grant and the kids where he's like hanging out with them and joking. Yeah. The uh, oh, yeah. thesaurus and all Tim, that. Tim's being set up as a little comedian because later on he, you know, they're watching watching the T-Rex and then the flocking bird, you know, the flocking dinosaurs and Grant's like, they do flock. They go they go around in flocks and Tim's like, they're flocking this way, you know. Mm-hmm. They find the raptor eggs at this point. We mentioned that in the first episode. Yeah. But he, they find, they're not supposed to lay eggs and now they're laying eggs and there's baby velociraptor footprints everywhere and he's like in awe of it and then you know realizes that he is grant realizes the implications of yes yep we know what that means okay okay so the after that um we go to the computer room with sam l samuel l jackson oh yes i didn't you know this is really bad i didn't realize arnold was samuel jackson i don't know how i missed that i bet i i'm a huge fan of his i've seen a lot of movies with him in it and I just, maybe it's because I watched this movie so long before I knew who he was as an actor that it just, I just never put two and two together. Well, he's wearing some very bright pink socks. Oh, yes. Yes, Nolan commented on that while we were watching. He's like, look at those socks! Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, the the scene when they're, when, I don't know if this is ahead of where you are or not. Um, okay, so when they're climbing the fence and Ellie's trying to recharge, is that where you are? Yes. Ellie's trying to recharge. No, not, that's ahead. Oh, well, go ahead then, and I'll get okay. to that. Um, so, this scene sets more tension. Um, this is where they're in the computer room, and they come up with a plan, mm-hmm. and they execute it, right? Mm-hmm. They shut the breakers down, and then the system reboots, right? It worked. The plan worked, but there's a complication, right? They have to go flip the breakers in the other room. The other building. The other like building on the other far, side of yeah. the compound. He's like, I'll just go to the other side of the compound and, you know, yes. flip the switches. No problem, right? Um, and then that sets that scene. Mm-hmm. So they have, like, a victory, but also a complication. Yes, so that's a good point. So it's important to have your characters have victories, but... You know, the, the try-fail cycle. They've got to be able to try, try, and fail, and then every now and then have them succeed but have complications in there. Because then otherwise, if they succeed, and ultimately succeed, it's the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So next, um, well, there's the scene that we talked about with the uh, flocking this way. Yes. Um, but then after that is... Things are happening quickly now. That's why we're... <laughs> Jumping to... back and forth. Yeah. Uh, there. So, like, the beginning, there's all this setup, and then, and then you just, like, let all the parts... Uh, go right mm-hmm. and so that's what's happening now so things aren't being described quite as well but it's there's so much action happening thinking you know the setup has paid off and now we're doing yeah. the things that we set up earlier yep yep um but um so this is this is the hunter guy right so Muldoon yeah Muldoon and Ellie go to find out why Arnold hasn't flipped the the breaker thing. breakers and we're pretty sure we know why, because all the dinosaurs are loose, but they don't necessarily, and they don't they, know that. They, she's like, she's like, something's wrong, something's wrong. So they, you know, she's like, something's happened. That's, yeah. they they feel that something's off, but they don't know exactly what. Right, because they've all been there. They they weren't out in the park with the T-Rex and everything like that. They've been at HQ. Yeah, yep. 
Um, so they don't know how bad things are out there. Um, so that's when she goes in there and then um, she flips the breakers and then... Oh wait, they, they run across some velociraptors and then... Um, oh yeah, Muldoon's hunting them. Muldoon You've hun got to make your point about this, about Muldoon. I will. Muldoon goes to uh, track down the velociraptors while she goes flips, forward. flips the breakers. So they split up, which is usually never a good idea. Um, and so he's the only one with a gun, too, so she's got a flashlight. Well, you can defend yourself with a flashlight against a gun. Of course, the gun didn't do him any good anyway. It didn't do him any good, no. But anyway, so she flips the breakers, hooray, and then she gets attacked by velociraptors anyway. Yeah. Um, and finds Mr. Arnold's severed arm. She, they think there's a there's a moment of relief from the pressure. Right? Oh, Mr. Arnold, I found you. Ah! Yeah. It, it's not attached to you. And that's a spoiler. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're going to be giving lots of spoilers in this We're going movies, through it, like, almost every scene. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen a 24-year-old movie, then I don't know what I can... Sorry. Yes. Um, anyway, so, that like, that that's just, like, a brief, like, this tense scene relief, then more tension, right? Yeah, no kidding. So that's really good. Um, back to Hunter Guy, Muldoon. Um, he describes how Velociraptors hunt at the very beginning of the movie, where one of them draws you in and then they attack you from the side, and then that's how he dies. Yeah, and he's, like, which falling for their trap, which... Yeah, he, he explicitly says this is what they do, and then he falls for it. What should have happened is he plans for that trap, and then they uh, one-up him somehow. The Velociraptors? Yeah. Oh, yeah, to make them be... Just to show that they're intelligent. Because he's like, they have problem-solving intelligence. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have made the movie so much longer, though. I Not mean, really, maybe, just yeah. one other trick. Like, oh, he's like, oh, I, I, oh, I saw you coming from the side, buddy, and then they do something else. Like one yeah. of them Jumps drops out of a tree or yeah. something like that. And he's like, oh crap. Yeah. Um, just something like that. That yeah. wouldn't have added more, but it just, yeah, I was like, you literally explain the problem and then die from the problem. Yeah, no kidding. That. So that's my other plot gripe, I guess. Is, you know, he wouldn't. I would like to think he wouldn't have fallen for that, given the fact that he... Understands how they hunt. Yeah, like, there's literally a scene like, where he says not to do that. Yeah. Anyway, that didn't feel ironic. That just felt, like, sloppy to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, my my thing with... They, they've got every scene is doing two things at once. And this the one scene where she's charging and reconnecting the system, and while Grant and the kids are crossing the fence, we've got her... Um, and it just flashes back and forth. So it's te technically the same scene. It just flashes back and forth really fast. But it is two. Is one scene doing two things. First off, watching the kids cross the fence would have been boring if it weren't for her pushing those buttons. And you know way down the perimeter fence, you know, because we know that's where they're, you know, the camera pans down to that. So you know that's where the kids are. But having them cross the fence without her pushing the buttons or having her push the buttons without them crossing the fence, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same tension. But now you've got the two things happening at the same time, and it ups the ante quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And one uh, one gripe about this scene is, like, uh, Grant tries to get Tim to let go of the fence mm -hmm. because they, they hear the alarm now, like, that the fence is going to arm, the electric fence. Mm -hmm. And he's like, jump! One, two, three, jump! And then when you see the picture of where Grant is relative to Tim, he's like, 
30 feet away. Yes, jump! Like, I'll catch you if you jump really far! <laughs> yeah, like, I know they had to frame the shot because they're, they're aiming from, like, the top of the fence, and that's how far Grant has to stand back for it to look right in the shot. But if Tim were to let go there, he would fall to his in severe injury, if not death. Because Grant's, like, not really that close. Not, like, standing underneath and ready to catch him. He's, like, not even close. Yeah. And I have a... I, my biggest gripe for the movie is right here. Can I give my biggest gripe for the movie? Sure. Grant performs CPR on Tim. And this is something Hollywood and TVs and writers get wrong all the time. And I, I knew these stats because I've been CPR trained multiple times. and But I looked them up again. But, okay, so CPR, if you're in the hospital and you have car, if you go into cardiac arrest, 40% of people in the hospital survive the immediate situation. And only 10 to 20% survive long enough to be discharged. And out in the wild, in the wild, outside of the hospital... Only 10% of people who go through CPR survive. Most people get la they get broken ribs, they get punctured lungs, they get um, they get internal bleeding. All the CPR ends up killing them, but 10% of the time it does help them, and so that's why they teach it. But I mean, otherwise, you know, those 10% people right. would die. It, it seems but, like it's a cure all, like it, in, in yes. movies, and it works every time. And movies, like, books, TV shows, everything. Like, like oh, CPR, you're saved. Oh. And then he gets up and runs around. Yes, which is like. He just got fried. He got fried. Well, they do show that his hands and feet, but I'm like the CPR. I mean, it's he's more than just that. He's talking. He's breathing. He's moving. I mean, my brother broke a few ribs, and he couldn't. He was in the ICU for how many days? Like five days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You can't just have your ribs broken and not. Yeah. Anyway. But there's, there's do, my gripe. Yes. Yes. But they do manage to get back to the park. So the the the. Uh, you mean back to the headquarters? Thing? The headquarters. Um. So now we've we've gotten our two groups back together again, right? Well, there was three. So Hammond uh, stayed back at the park, right, while they went on the tour. Mm -hmm. Then the tour split up. Ellie went back to help with the Triceratops while everybody else was out there. Now we're getting everybody, the band, back together again, right? And now, um, what's her fit? Lexi and Tim are sitting in the same places that Ellie and Hammond were sitting, eating. Oh, Yes. In a place that we feel is safe. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? You see the shadow of the velociraptor. You, see, you don't see a velociraptor, you see the shadow of a velociraptor. Yes. And Lexi's hand starts shaking with the jello flopping around on it. Then uh, hilarity ensues, right? Hilarity. Just... <laughs> you mean horror? Terror? Yes, then horror. Then horror and terror, because then they run in, you know, they do the kitchen, they go into the kitchen. Absolutely um, fantastic. And they're hiding, you know, they're hiding, and the velociraptors are tired of, like, hiding, so they them hiding so they jump up on the counters mm -hmm. you know there's just that they kind of ratchet up that and they almost get caught because like she's trying to close the door yeah that she hides in a cabinet and she can't close the door and then all that stuff happens so okay so one one little thing a note for writers we've got the scene where the kids are sitting there eating and i think it's when they're eating actually maybe it's not when they're eating anyway where where they're like it, it, you know, we're safe unless they figure out how to open doors. And then they shoot immediately and you see the Velociraptor opening the door. So some foreshadowing does not need to happen like halfway, you know, 300 pages earlier. You can have foreshadowing happen and then the next scene have it be, you know, filled up on, followed up on. Mm -hmm. And then another little quick point right here. Velociraptors are supposed to be smaller, like the size of a dog. And even in Jurassic World, they're bigger than they're supposed to be. But, you know, Steven Spielberg was like... He wanted them to be 10 feet tall, but it's funny because that's, you know, that's not completely accurate, but while they're filming or when this movie was released, they actually dug up a 
a raptor, and it's called a Utah raptor that was that size, which you know I thought was cool. But but they didn't know there is a raptor something in the raptor family. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're moving on or not, but I still have kitchen comments. Do you have kitchen comments still? No. Okay, so he already mentioned this a little bit, but it's one of my favorite visual effects in the movie is when he she's trying to shut the the what is it she's sitting in like a closet or a cupboard and she's trying to pull down the metal mm-hmm. the metal door and you see a, a a mirror image of her and it's not really Lex it's totally one of those great things that some authors are able to do is mislead readers and you want to be you want to be able to mislead them occasionally so that they feel like something's going to happen and then it doesn't because that right there was misleading the viewers you know we see this velociraptor running and then all of a sudden it crashes into the opposite side and then um, another little quick point, the ice on the floor, Timmy's leg's not working, the Velociraptor, don't be gentle on your characters. I mean, he's scrambling across ice on the floor, and he can't even walk right under normal circumstances to get away from this Velociraptor, you know? You want to be, even in a romance, you need to be, you can't be gentle on your characters, you need to make things tough for them, you know? Um, the This is a Unix system. <laughs> as as someone who has worked quite a bit in Unix system, it looks nothing like a Unix system. Well, it did in, in 1994, maybe. <laughs> You're right. I wasn't working in Unix systems in 94. I was only 11. I like how they had to have like a 3D navigation to... The... This is a Unix system. And she's moving the mouse along. We don't even use that now. No. Because it's dumb. And computers back then, it takes so long to render each. Oh, like... to render the 3D system. No, it would have been by code. It would have all been command. I, know, I was like, I'm prompt. pretty sure I was using a DOS prompt in 94. Right? Yes. Yeah, but that's why it was so, it was like futuristic, you know. Mm-hmm. I know this. This is a Unix system. She's supposed to be so cool and so yes. advanced and smart. Um, let's see. Okay, so we know from watching the movie that there's only two velociraptors, and they seem to be everywhere. In there's there's got to be more than two. They said there's only two. We've got Did the... Yeah, say he that? says that. Because she, she says that I trapped one inside of the... You know, I trapped one inside of the bunker where she turned the power on, and then and they're like, that leaves two. And I'd never noticed that before because it feels like there's tons... Well, I mean, we can check that again, but it feels like there's tons of velociraptors. But anyway... Um, um, so then there's the big fight with the T-Rex yeah. and the Velociraptor. And you can make that comment about... The, the T-Rex is a ninja this time. They they very much emphasized the vibrations of its coming. Yes. And then it's inside of a building. Mm-hmm. Like a whole building got inside. How do- Like, where's the door for that? Yeah. I don't think they really... He just kind of appears in the lobby. Of <laughs> yes. He doesn't break his way in. Yeah. He was hiding in there. Like you said, he was a ninja. He's a ninja. They have giant T-Rex-sized doors. And very soft carpet, and <laughs> he snuck up on his he snuck up on uh, four people and a couple of velociraptors. Hey, at least in Jurassic World they go get the T Rex, you know, so we know yeah. where the T Rex came from. Yeah, so that that kind of bothers me as well. I don't understand. <laughs> like they they just they there's yeah two very pivot, you know iconic pivotal scenes where they yes. show the the vibration and then he and doesn't. Then yeah, the last one he just. Shows up. Did you want to make a comment about the cables holding the bones up? Yeah, the the cables holding the bones up. So, um, at one point they escape from the computer room, up through the ducting, and then come out through the ceiling in the main lobby with the giant T Rex bones. And they're climbing on the bones, and then the bones are falling down because they they won't be held in the ceiling um, because. They can hold a thousand pound, uh, multi thousand pound um, 
fossil. T-Rex skeleton, but can't hold um, Timmy. Chil children. Yeah. Apparently. So those fall. They um, break out. Yeah. So that, that bothered us. We, we were like, wait, is that, would that really actually happen? I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd have them anchored well enough. And it's like coming out of drywall. It looks like. Oh yeah, that's right. There's in. not even, it's not even anchored into like wood or anything. It, like yeah. That. Still. I don't know. That, uh, that's just one of the other things at the end where it could have been executed differently, but it's a famous movie and it's a very good movie. So. Yeah. And then at the end, who ends up being the ultimate bad dinosaur? T-Rex, right? I mean, the well, T-Rex, yeah. de he defeats the raptors, you know, I mean, and yes. then the banner falling down, you know, like, this is our, he's like our hero bad guy, you know, he's the ultimate, he's the ultimate dinosaur. Which, you know, yeah, I mean, he is the king, king lizard. Yeah. Hence I love T-Rex, he's my favorite. They have some bigger, badder uh, ones in the later movies, but he, uh, he's pretty awesome. Still comes through yep. for him. We'll talk been... about that later. We're actually going to do one of these movies a month leading up to the release of Jurassic World 2, which Fallen Kingdom, which I am so excited for. <laughs> yeah, those movies are not as good at building tension. And well, they're more explodey. Yeah, they are. They're, you know, I mean, I don't know, like Jurassic Park was, was based on a novel and it was by a fantastic author. And, and Lost World, and for those who do not know, they actually kind of had to arm twist... Uh, Michael Crichton into writing the book Lost World so they could base a movie off of it. And it's not as good. He didn't want to do it. He doesn't like doing sequels. I mean, that's one of the things. He doesn't do sequels, you know? And so and so it didn't have the heart in it that Jurassic Park had. Oh, remember that we watched an interview <laughs> where they ask him, like, you know, like, so is, how good is this movie? He's like, well, it is what it is. Oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> About Lost World. Yeah, he's like, cha-ching, so there. <laughs> yes, he got his money. Uh, two more comments. Malcolm... Shirt unbuttoned still at the end. You know, he's our he's our little, um, am I allowed to say sex symbol on our podcast? Yeah, you can say sex symbol. I know. Uh, yeah, he's our little sex symbol, so he's got to have his shirt unbuttoned. And then we've got that, that, that character development, the character growth with Grant. He's got the kids with him in the end of the, in the helicopter. So we yes. see him go from hating kids to loving kids. Yep. So there's that. That character arc paid off in, like, the three big, you know... So, you know, early hates kids, right? And then he meets the kids, you know, this specifically. Yeah. And then they go through a couple of trials, you know, the T-Rex, the Jeep, um, all that stuff. And then mm -hmm. at the end, they're friends. Yeah. Who would you say is the main character? I mean, I kind of think Grant is because he's got the most growth out of everybody. Yeah. He probably has the most screen time, I want to say, too. I mean, the kids, they go from being happy to terrorized into happy. That's <laughs> not exactly, you know. <laughs> the trauma. The trauma. <laughs> yes. And Ellie doesn't really have a lot of growth. You know, I mean, Malcolm goes from skepticism to skepticism to skepticism, and he gets attacked in the middle, but it doesn't actually change his character. He's yeah, uh, Grant's probably, Grant's the only one with an arc, because... Uh, well, Hammond has a little bit of an arc. He doesn't learn. He, he's still... That's true. He's like, oh yeah, Site B, and then, oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so Grant, I guess. Yeah, he's like... Oh, Gennaro. We... No, it was Gennaro. He got the most... He went from being alive to being dead. That's about as... <laughs> <laughs> that's about as drastic as you can get. Yeah. Because the kids don't change. No, they don't change. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah, there you go. So, but it's still a it's still a satisfying movie. I mean, I it's still one of my favorite movies. You know, for 
for all the reasons we mentioned. And that's the other thing. It's not like it's a romance, you know, the, the character development has to be there, but it doesn't have to be as involved as a romance, you know, where everything hinges on the characters. Anyway, um, okay, so where can people find you online, husband uh, of mine? Nowhere right now. <laughs> okay, Nolan, he, when um, was the last time you signed into Facebook? Like, I don't, I don't think people know I have a son. And, <laughs> and he's two years old. He's two, so. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's probably hasn't updated his post since we announced we were getting married seven years or eight years ago or something like that. <laughs> He hasn't updated Facebook. He doesn't. I did. We're married. Oh yeah, we are married. Did you did you announce that we we're married then? Yeah. Okay. It's a status married. I mean, oh, that's right. That's the that's yes. That's the big. <laughs> that's it. So if you want to reach Nolan, you have to go through me. And his like we've said, his pen name is James Kerwin, and we do have a blog that's not well updated for him. And then if you want to reach me, you can email me at Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com, and make sure you check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash selfpublishedstrong. If you're not noticing a theme here, <laughs> the, pub, the podcast is self-published wrong and my email and Patreon and all of that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Next time we are going to be talking about, was it Twilight we said? Twilight. We, we are so excited for Twilight. Twilight defines our relationship. <laughs> I don't think I, we should admit that to people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Okay, so Twilight with Rift Tracks defines our there relationship. That I'll claim. Yes. Okay. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for our next podcast episode. Bye. Bye.